today we are going to look at Colossians chapter 1 for the third week in a row. Uh, we're going to use it in a different translation today because I want you to hear uh, the very clear um, call for our ability to know and to do the will of God as empowered by God himself. Let's share in God's good word together. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Please, God. Please. I still love him. But I don't want to love him anymore. I don't want to hurt anymore. Please. Help me forget. Please help me let him go. Please help me let him go. kneel down in the middle of a highway and live to talk about it, son. <laughs> yeah. if, if you think the Lord's asking you to kneel down in the center of a highway, ask a friend. <laughs> right? Discernment's something we do together. We do together. And we can only discern the depths of our lives and our next step with God if we surrender. If we surrender our ego-centered view of reality. Have you ever thought that you had surrendered something? Only to find out later that you were really just trying to manipulate God to get what you wanted all along. I have. Now, the human heart, it is nothing if not deceiving. Was Bruce surrendered when he knelt down in the street? Or did he just want God to give him grace back into his life? That's the character played by Jennifer Aniston in the movie. Now, he said the right words, and, but his heart, well, he was hurting. She was hurting. He wanted the pain to stop. 
Maybe it wasn't so much about God's will as it was about stopping the pain or past hurts for ourselves or people we love. It is unsettling, isn't it, friends? I mean, even scary to relinquish who we think we are. Scary to stop clinging to who we've been told who we are or what we have or what we do or what our families have taught us to believe. It is scary to step into the hidden unknown of God, into those dimensions of our lives where we meet God who cannot be tamed. Cannot be tamed. My name is Mark Foster. I'm the founding senior pastor here at Acts 2. Welcome to worship. And I am honored to be with you this Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. We honor him today as a great leader of faith and and one that works for the good of our country and of our life uh, and his life. It died way too young. So this month, we are looking at the book of Jonah as a way to see more clearly into God's will and calling for us into a new decade. And so the sermon title is Let's Try This Again. Uh, That's what God does with us over and over and over and over again. Let's try this again. Now, Jonah had been raised to hate Ninevites. You would be reminded that Nineveh was the the great city of Assyria, and Assyria had overthrown um, the Jews. They conquered the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C. And God is calling Jonah a second time, again, to go and bless them. To bless them and warn them to turn from their violence before it was too late. Because violence leads to violence. And Jonah says yes with his lips and even with his legs. But was his heart changed? Did he want what God wanted? Do you? Do you want what God wants? Well, if you take your sermon notes out, we're going to try this again. And we're going to see that maybe together, always together, that we can see more clearly. Maybe we might even be able to see 2020. Get it? 2020? Oh, I'm so clever. We'll get started. Okay, so take your sermon notes out and we'll get going. So over the last number of weeks, uh, we've learned this so far in Jonah 1 and Jonah 2. Uh, This week we're at Jonah 3. And that is that God is speaking to us, always speaking to us as individuals and as a community of faith, as the people of God. And the thing is, as the people of God, we can't know what to do unless we hear from one another. If there's one God, one voice, and God speaks, we should all hear that together. And we should have unity in knowing where to go. And when there's differences in the church between what one person thinks God is saying and another person thinks God is saying, then we need to pump the brakes and go, hold on a minute. What's, What's going on? The early church would meet... And move when they had things that were unanimous, when they would have consensus. And then they would move forward in the early church councils. And the other thing is, you can't know really what's going on in your own life if you don't have somebody else um, to use as a mirror. There are a lot of things that I think are really good ideas until Chantel tells me otherwise. She's my wife. Right? And and isn't that true? Isn't that true, fellas? We have all kinds of good ideas. And then we, we, we just run them by our spouse. And you're like, huh, I didn't see it that way. Maybe that's not such a good idea. We need one another. We need one another both individually and as a church. The other thing that we found, and, and, and the church has found this for thousands of years, is that God's voice is direct. And it doesn't argue. And it carries a weight to it beyond your own thoughts or the words of others. So if you're driving in your car and you're having this argument about what you should do, that's not with God. It might be with yourself or with someone else or a different idea or a different ideology. 
But God doesn't argue. And if you look all the way through the 66 books of the Bible, God's never pleading with people, never arguing with people. God says, go to Nineveh. And he leaves it there. God says to Moses, take off your shoes. Right? God says to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. There's no arguing with God. God simply says, because God is the truth, right? Jesus is truth. So when the truth comes, it simply sits there. It doesn't change. It's just there. And here's the thing that's really important for us to remember, that no one, and I mean no one, can discern the signs of daily life alone. And those who true, like Bruce, find themselves in, in a really hard place really quickly. And the reason that we can't discern the signs of life alone is that we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. Now, if you've been with us the last two weeks, you've already read this, but it's important. I'm trying to get this ingrained into ourselves, into our souls, because once you understand this, a lot of the problems in your life will start to become clear to you. So read it with me. We don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. And you may have someone in your life, it may be yourself, that that their actions and their behaviors don't match the reality that you're seeing. You just can't make sense of it. You're like, why would someone make that decision given these set of circumstances. And when you can't figure it out, if you've been working at it, working at it, you're like, this just doesn't make sense. We're back to this. Because we all act out of who we are, not about, about the reality that's around us. And so uh, one of my favorite movies is Elf. Uh, and I love um, the scene where uh, he says, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. Do you all know Elf? Yes. Isn't that a beautiful little scene? And the thing is, he sees the world that way because he's in love. And the whole world is about love for him in that season. He even thinks it's the world's best cup of coffee. And it's not. Right? But he sees the world that way because he sees the world as he is. Not as it is. And we do the same thing. We all do. So we come to the story with Jonah as a self-reflection. And the context is this. That God calls Jonah to go east to the people who enslaved his ancestors. Now, this Dr. King weekend, it's very difficult for me to appropriate the context of the scripture uh, in our culture in largely white suburban uh, Oklahoma. Uh, but let, let's say it like this. Jonah finds himself just a little north of Joppa. He drops down to Joppa, and God says, go to Nineveh, which is a land trip, right? And it's only about 500 miles. Jonah decides to take a ship, over water as far away from God as possible. Now, if you learn this in Sunday school as a little kid, you think, well, silly Jonah, doesn't he know better? Like, you know, he should just get on board. Now, every metaphor breaks down and every illustration is risky. So um, please forgive me if this doesn't work for you, but uh, I've been trying to figure out how to try to bring this forward. Anybody know who Russell Westbrook is? I love Russell. I mean, he's got fancy glasses, he's very cool, you know, got the L.A., UCLA vibe, the whole thing. And he is a celebrity. I mean, he was a celebrity in his own right coming out of UCLA, and everybody knew him, and everybody loved him. And, well, not everybody, but, you know, I mean, just this big figure. Now, what we don't re- know is that even as late as the 1700s, uh, prophets of God or people like Francis Asbury or John Wesley, they had celebrity status. Francis Asbury once got a letter in America that said, Francis Asbury... America from Europe, and it was hand-delivered to him. He was that famous. Jonah was famous. Everybody knew Jonah. He was the Russell Westbrook of his time. Now, the problem is 
that there had been a lot of bad things happen to Jonah's people. And imagine with me if Joppa is L.A. And Russell Westbrook is sitting in his home. And God comes to Russell and he says, Russell, I want you to go to Selma, Alabama and attend a Klan rally. All the Klansmen will be there. And I want you to go to that rally and I want you to declare to them that I love them, but if they don't stop their violence, I will destroy them. Now, if you're Russell Westbrook, what do you do? You get on the first flight to Hawaii. Right? You're taking the ship to Hawaii. You're not going to Alabama to the Klan rally if you're a black man, are you? No, it's ridiculous. Everybody knows what those people do to people like me. Jonah knew what the Ninevites had done and would do to him and everybody who was like him. They had already taken them over. They had already killed their people. They had already enslaved them. So before we get too down on Jonah, let's look at the reality of what's being asked of him. Right? I mean, you'd be heading to Hawaii too. That's just what smart people would do. That's what Jonah did. So Jonah goes west, and he tries to hide from God. He tries to hide from this very difficult calling in the bottom of a ship. Of course, a storm comes up because God really does care about everyone on the planet and not just some. And Jonah's found. And the only way they're going to stop the storm, as they know, is to throw him overboard because it's his fault. And so they do. And just when you think it couldn't get any lower for Jonah, he gets swallowed by a large fish, and he goes even deeper. And it takes him three days and nights in the fish to submit to God. Scripture says they even had seaweed wrapped around his head. I mean, this is a bad place, and it still took him 72 hours. But let's face it. If you were an African-American and God was calling you to go to a Klan rally in Alabama, you need some time to think about that one to get there. It was no small thing. So... God has the fish throw Jonah up onto the shore where he started. He's given him a second chance. He's like, okay, we're going to try this again. Let's try this again, God says. But make no mistake about it. Whether it is hundreds of years before Jesus, Jesus' time, or any time in between then and now, the sin of racism is alive and well. It's been around a long time. It's still around. And, and it really pains me to have to say this out loud, something that you probably have sensed, but you may not know that research has bared it out, and that is that it's getting worse, not better. That most Americans, that Pew Research did a 2019 study, um, and what they found is that including majorities across racial and ethnic groups, they say that it has become more common, more common in the last few years for people to express racist or racially insensitive views. This problem is getting worse in our country, not better. And we need to know this. We have to work against this. Every person who's a member of our church has taken a vow to fight oppression and injustice in whatever forms they present themselves. That's what we do as Methodists. That's our vow. That was your vow when you joined the church. And 58% of Americans say race relations in the U.S. are bad. They're not good. More than half. Now, this is more than 150 years after the 13th Amendment abolished slavery in our country. And most U.S. adults say the legacy of slavery continues to impact black people in American society. Of course it does. And about three-quarters of blacks and Asians, 76%, and 58% of Hispanics say they have experienced discrimination or have been treated unfairly because of their race or ethnicity. Now, I would love to say to you, um, as the senior pastor here, that I've not experienced racism in our church. That's true. 
But you know what? As a white senior pastor of a suburban church, I wouldn't expect that I would. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Doesn't mean that we don't have work to do. It just means that it doesn't come my way because I sit up here. And I don't experience the world the way other people experience the world. Neither do you. And we've got work to do. I would want you to know this. That as a staff, Chantel in charge of Welcome and Connection, our training is this. And, and, and my prayer, as long as I'm senior pastor, it will always be this. Whoever God and God's wisdom chooses to bring onto our property, this 35 acres here on the corner of Penn and Covell, whoever that is, we understand them to be Christ himself. That Jesus lives within every human being that God ever brings to us. Because we're created in the image of God. The imago dei is how the early church put it. And so when it's you, our prayer and our hope is that when you come, you are treated as Christ himself. That you are honored, you are praised, you are lifted up, you are adored, you are cared for. You are blessed by the other people of God. And if you are a person here for soccer practice, uh, we understand you as you walk in the door to use the restroom or get a drink of water that you too are Jesus. Created in the image of God. That you are a, a bearer of God. That every person you will ever meet, who you ever lock eyes with, is actually Jesus living inside them. That's what we believe about people. That Jesus lives inside his people. That we are children of God. Heirs, not strangers. And so every person, and, that's, and we pray that's how you've been treated. And our, and our hope is that every person that will ever come on, you will treat them that way as well. That every person you meet carries Christ within them. That's our goal. I pray you help me make it a reality around here. Even if it's somebody you just meet in the parking lot. Or if it's one of those people that cut in front of you for a donut hole this morning. Can you believe Jesus would do that? Whatever it is. Now, these are small things we can do here, but I also want you to know that we work uh, really diligently with our young people uh, to train them up. We've taken high school and junior high groups um, and met other groups from all over the United States. They come for one week to partner with what's called Service Over Self, SOS. It connects students to homeowners in need of critical home repairs in the neighborhoods around Memphis, Tennessee. It's in West Memphis. Um, and SOS seeks to empower people and transform neighborhoods by utilizing volunteers to replace roofs for economically disadvantaged homeowners. Uh, it doesn't look like Edmund. Let me, let me say that. Part of the time in Memphis includes a tour of the Civil Rights Museum uh, at the Lorraine Motel, where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. His crime, his only crime calling for nonviolent action in our country for all people to love one another and to be treated fairly, as Jesus taught us. To judge one another not by the color of our skin, but by the content of our character. And so I'm, I'm pleased to report to you that we have more students going to SOS this summer than ever before. Uh, we go every June. Uh, we take a great group of students, and they are transformed by the relationship they develop with the homeowners. Uh, and they go out and they get really good barbecue, and they get some ice cream, and they tour Memphis, and they begin to have a deeper understanding of what the wider context of our country and our world is like. And we're really proud of the kids that do that. And they come back on fire, so it grows every year. More and more kids come. And we're very excited about that. And so I um, hope you'll be praying for our students as they head back this year. Uh, and imagine this, that um, our wonderful little suburban students, one of the best things about their summer, they tell us, is getting up on a hot roof in the middle of the summer to make a difference in the kingdom of God. Isn't that cool? That's what they do. And thank you to every... Yeah, you can clap for that. That's good stuff. You know? But it takes effort. It does. It takes effort. So we come to this story of Jonah as a self-portrait. We're supposed to see ourselves in the story. And so the scripture in Jonah 3 is where we pick it up. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. 
And here's what you need to know. We have a God of second chances. Amen? And, and third chances. And fourth chances. And fifth chances. And sixth chances. God's call on your life is irrevocable. I mean, know that. Hear that. If, if you think of something once and it just comes in and out of your head, don't worry about it. That's not a God. If God wants your attention, he'll get it. And if you have these recurring thoughts that just stay in your mind, that's God. God's saying, hey, let's work on this. Hey, I still want you to do that. Hey, I still want you to reconcile with that person. Hey, it's still there. The call of God, still there. God is still calling Jonah a second time. He says, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city. And again, Jonah's like, great city, you kidding me? And proclaim the message that I tell you. So Jonah, he does it. He sets out, goes to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, three days walk across. So God calls Jonah a second time. I'd like for you to think for just a second about what God is calling you to do. Maybe you passed by the first time. God said, I want you to do this. And you're like, "Mm, I think I'll pass. Has God called you about something a second time? It'll be for your good and the good of the world. So Jonah began to go into the city going a day's walk. And he cried out, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You realize the context he's going into? Is this something you'd be excited about preaching? Now, here's the thing we preachers know. You get one prophetic sermon. It's called your last one. Because then the people vote you out or your DS moves you on. Brandon thinks I might get two. So we'll see. He says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. What? They believed God the first time. They proclaimed a fast and everyone great and small. They put on sackcloth, which is uh, to put us on notice that they, they meant it. They did what they said. If, if you were in biblical times, you put on sackcloth, it meant that you were turning your life towards God. So Jonah proclaims God's warning. And they repent. They actually do it. They do what God asks of them the first time. Unlike Jonah, who's still struggling. And when the news reached the king of Nineveh, the very top of the top, he gets up from his throne, he removes his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth. So even he gets it, and he sits in ashes. And then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. No human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They're all going to fast. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Now, if you were a Jewish person hearing this, this is hilarious. Like, these people are so lost, they think that you make your kitty cats repent. I mean, they're just, it's just silly. But what this shows us is their heart, right? They don't know God. They don't know the things of God, but they're all in. They're like, look, we don't know what it is, but we don't want to be destroyed, so we're going to repent. Our cows are going to repent. Everybody's going to repent. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth. How do you put a sackcloth on a donkey, right? I mean, this is hilarious and deep and disturbing All at the same time, because they shall cry mildly to God, and all shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence. Will you read that with me? All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Then the king says, well, who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. What we find is that the king sets a better example than Jonah. The king does exactly what God wants him to do, and then some. So when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind. He really did about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he didn't do it. That's a beautiful story. God calls, Jonah answers, the people are saved. Yay! You know what you call that? The Disney ending. And that's how Disney does it. It's great. We all love that. God saves the people. Jonah does the right thing. Oh, it's good. Let's go home. It's not the end of the story. I wish it was, but it's not. It says, this was very displeasing to Jonah. 
And he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish in the beginning. Read it with me. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. Now, we, you'll hear me say this. You know, we'll pray this over people. And here's the terrible thing about the human heart. We love it if it's for us. And we hate it if it's for somebody we hate. That's the human heart. And that's what we got to get fixed. We have to invite Jesus into our life and begin to love as he loved. Not as as our human nature. So Jonah actually doubles down on this and he says, Lord, if that's who you are, kill me now. Please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live and watch your goodness to those people. Now, I would love to tell you that that's unique to Jonah. But it's not. That's still alive in our world, in our country, in our state, in our town. We've got to work against that. Because that's the reality of the human condition. Jonah's reality is that God is ready to forgive, but he's not. Are you? Because God's calling you to forgive whoever has hurt you, who've ever hurt the people in your past. See, our, our faith, our religion, our relationship with Jesus is to bring love and light into the world, not the opposite. C.S. Lewis, who I think is one of the most brilliant minds um, that you can read easily, is this. He says, whenever we find our religious life is making us feel that we are better than someone else, I think we may be sure that we are being acted on not by God, but by the devil. So you've heard me say around here lots and lots of times, our goal is to be better, to be radical Christ followers, to follow in the dust of our rabbi, to be more and more like Jesus. It is never to be better than. Never better than. Never better than. And the moment you think you're better than, you are in deep weeds. Because Jesus Christ is the exact imprint of God. When you look at Jesus, you're looking at God. And on the last night of his life, when he could have done anything, he knelt down and washed his disciples' feet. That's our model. That's our goal. Not better than. Servants of all. So the Lord says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? The Lord is asking you today, is it right for you to be angry? Whatever it is where you think somehow you've been so done wrong, trust me. Scripture says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Right? We allow justice to come and roll down like waters. From God, not from us. Now, it is no secret to you people that I had knee surgery on November 5th. So I have this little stool, I have this little thing right here. Uh, I like it. I'm going to keep it, I think. I'm very excited about it. Um, but uh, and in my therapy, I have a really great therapist. He's wonderful. Um, and as a way to help me uh, go from the walker to the cane, when I started to manage stairs, he would say this. He said, just remember that good people go up. And people, bad people go down. That's how you remember it. So when you're going up the stairs, you, you put your good, your strong leg up first. And when you're going downstairs, you put your, your bad leg down first so that if you start to fall, you catch yourself with your good leg. You don't want to try to catch yourself with your bad leg. Does it make sense? It is great physical therapy. It is terrible theology. It is dead wrong. 
You need to hear this. This is dead wrong. People fall into this lie. We actually try to teach our children this sometimes. This is not true. Paul's very clear to the early church. He says, no, we are not saved by any righteousness, not by our deeds, lest anyone should boast. We are saved by the grace of God alone. Whoever goes up is is lifted up by Jesus, not by our good works, not because we're good. That's a bold-faced lie. But if you're not careful, you'll start to buy into it because it works for you when you want your kids to do something. Right? Or you, th- you think you're going to move up in your job or whatever it is. That's not true. God's will is that all people go up and that none go down. Not one. That's God's will. And we know this because the scripture says so. The Lord is not slow about his promise of something, but is patient with you. Read it with me. Not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's what God wants. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I need an elevator, particularly of late. Like if I go on a hospital visit, somebody's at the 10th floor, I'm not doing the stairs. I mean, I might want to. I might want you to think I would, but I won't. I'm going to go to the elevator, right? And, and there's something that happens within me at the elevator. Maybe you. If you're standing here, um, what do you hope happens when the elevator opens? Do you want it full or empty? You want it empty, right? I want it empty because I want to get in and I want to go up. Right? And it's not because I'm good. I just want to go up. Right? But so often I hit the thing, you know, I hit the little button and it opens up and it looks more like that. And what they're trying to do is tell me, don't you get in here without telling me, don't get in here. Right? So when I'm on this side of the elevator and I look at the elevator, I'm like, oh, I want it. I want in. I want in. I want in. I want to go up. But then every once in a while, I'll sneak in and I get in and the doors close. And then something happens in my heart. Maybe it happens to you. And I'm going to the 10th floor, and it stops at the 3rd floor, and the 5th floor, and the 7th floor, and the 8th floor. And every time the door begins to open, what am I thinking? Hope nobody's out there. Right? Aren't I? And then it opens. And because I'm a pastor, I say, welcome all who would like to enter the elevator. I don't care how crowded it is. That is a lie. Inside of me, I'm thinking... Oh, you look like you have the flu. You better stay out. <laughs> right? right? You're sneezing or coughing or, or like four people are trying to get into a space of one. And if I'm not careful, my heart will betray my face. And I'll be like, hey. And I'll be like, don't you come in here because I'm on now. Now, religiously, this is so dangerous, isn't it? That we would beg for the mercy of God to get on and for him to lift us up. But once we're up, Man, our hearts are deceiving. I have to work against that. Amen? Got to work against it. Henry Nouwen says, I am chosen. And that doesn't mean that others are not chosen. When I really receive this gift of being God's beloved, I look around and see that all our others are beloved too. But it doesn't come easily. The scriptures tell us, Paul says this out loud. He says, I don't understand my own actions, for I don't do what I want. I do the very thing I hate. And I can will what is right, but I can't do it. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. Isn't that what you found? Try to quit smoking. Try to eat less. Try to work out. Try to be kinder. And in the very moments where you're really trying, it gets worse. It's like, it feels like the whole world's against you at times. And that's why we need each other. That's why we need the power of God. That's why we need our community of faith. To do things that we could never do in our own strength. And so Paul says, well, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? Of course, the answer is Jesus. 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's true that whenever what we want to do, when we want to do good, evil lies close at hand. It really does. But since none of us can save ourselves, none of us can just lift ourselves up. We ought not and cannot judge Jesus' grace for others when he says, come on. Right? If we're not the judge, then we're not the judge. Whoever goes up is who God wants to go up. And that's everybody. But you do have a choice about that. Even the Ninevites, even those terrible Ninevites, God says, I want you to. Because you too are made in my image. You're my children. So, our action step is this. Uh, you may have heard over the last number of weeks uh, that our denomination as, uh, as a whole is struggling about this issue of who's in, who's out, who can come, who can't come, or who can do this or who can do that. Um, and it just so happens that this Tuesday, um, we're going to have a statewide meeting of every church in our state. Um, the conference, for the first time in our church's history, has asked us to host. Um, I don't think that's by accident. I think that's by God's will. And it's, and it's my prayer that God would work a miracle here on Tuesday. But from 9 in the morning till 3 in the afternoon and a little later for some, that God would do something beautiful and unite our hearts and, and, you, and really be reminded that every person is created in the image of God. And that whoever walks in on Tuesday would be treated as Jesus himself. And so what I'd like for you to do, we haven't done this before, but what I'd like for you to do is right now for the next minute, I'd like for you to just pray over your row, over the people that will sit in your row on Tuesday. And I want you to to pray for them, that God would bless them, that God would touch their hearts. And and pray for the people that will be here next week and the week after that. And whoever, whoever sits in those seats in the coming year, in the coming decade, from now till 2030 or till Jesus comes back, that God would bless every person. And if in a month or two you come and somebody's sitting in your seat, guess what? It's Jesus sitting in your seat. Find another one, right? Because it's not your seat. It's Jesus' seat, and Jesus is there. So bless him. You don't ask Jesus to move. You're like, how can I help you, Jesus, right? So do, do that with me now. Just, just pray over your row. Pray for every person that's going to sit in that row forever. That God would bless them. That God would use your prayers now to bless the future of the kingdom. For peace, love, harmony, grace, forgiveness, healing, restoration, power. That heaven would come to earth. And God would bless and use his church. His body. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for that blessing. I'm going to say um, on Tuesday that every person in the room has been prayed for. Every seat in this place has been prayed for. And we pray that it changes the very atmosphere of what the Lord will do in this place for our entire state, not just for us. Amen? Amen. You share in the Lord's Prayer with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.